0: All right, are ready to get started? Hopefully Mark will be along in just a couple of minutes with our notes. Um, let me just open with a word of prayer, and then we'll review what we learned last week. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this beautiful morning, for the sun shining after all the days of rain, and I thank you for this opportunity this morning to again look at 2 Peter, and consider, um, Lord, the, the assurance that you're coming back, and what 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 effect that should have on our lives, on our hopes, and, and what what spurs us on each day? I ask your blessings in our conversation, and that your Holy Spirit might be moving through us and um, uh, bringing out some good truths for us to latch to. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so let's start again with just going through our verses. Remember that we didn't I decided not to go through these in strictly chronological order. We we're gonna read through the ten verses again, and last week I kind of talked about the way that the false teachers have been attacking their assurance of Christ's return and we'll review that briefly and then we're going to get into this morning Peter's answers to those attacks in the, in these first 10 verses. So let's look through them again and then we'll briefly review last week. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So last week, we began with um, the whole idea of the second coming, why it was so critical, everything that they've been looking forward to, um, the climax of salvation's history, the church's great longing, um, the idea that um, they were under present persecution from inside the church And outside, right? They had the physical, uh, the Roman Empire over them, the challenges of their daily life, of being under occupation. And um, they had those outside pressures pressing against them daily. Uh, a, A great reality. The idea of putting your faith in Christ meant you could lose everything, your job, your family, your life. So they had a very clear sense of the outside pressures. But now, in Second Peter, we're looking at also at the inside pressures. The pressures coming from false teachers who are now attacking their even their hopes, their, the things that they're looking forward to. Um, so with all these challenges they're facing, they're, they're greatly looking forward to um, the Lord's return. We also talked about, um, let's see here, fact that here it was in verse three, above all you understand that in the last days scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. We talked a little bit about what are these what are the motivations for the false teachers. We've certainly also already seen in Second Peter about their lifestyle of wickedness and um, how the idea of Christ returning, the idea that they could be held accountable, um, is just um, an affluent of them. They just cannot stand that. And so they they rail against the idea that they'll ever be held accountable for their lifestyle. Uh, we talked a little bit about some of the idea of uniformitarianism, and um, the idea that everything has gone on since the beginning, the saying that God has never intervened, or that the idea that God started creation and let it loose, and now it's just doing its own thing, um, that that's common even today. Many people we'll still espouse that same theory, but that's, that's totally false. So let's take a look this morning now at what, how Paul answers the false teachers, the way they've been attacking Christ's second coming. He answers them in four ways. I think we're going to look at this morning. Um, first, being with Scripture, he draws their attention to Scripture. He says, it again, more time, dear friends. This is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them to as reminders to stimulate you." to wholesome thinking. He's reminding them again of the same truths that they have known, trying to, to reestablish that firm foundation. He says here first, I want to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets. So let's take a look here. If you turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 66, we're just going to look at, we went last week pretty extensively through the, the, the um, second coming and the different texts that have pointed forward to it. So let's just look at two this morning. And I want to do this too because this is Isaiah is considered one of the first. There are some that feel that maybe Jonah was earlier, but in general, Isaiah is one of the first prophets, and Malachi is one of the absolute last. So this is kind of showing that throughout the whole spectrum of these prophets, they've all been pointing forward to this, okay? Um, let's look at Isaiah chapter 66. Can someone read that when you get there?
1: For the, old, the
2: Lord will come with fire, and with it's like a whirlwind, to render His anger with fury, and His rebuke with flames of fire by fire and by his sword will the Lord plead with all flesh. The slain of the Lord shall be many.
1: Mm.
0: So here's Isaiah pointing forward to this great day of Lord, the day of judgment. And um, we're definitely at the very end of this, we're going to get into a little more of what what that judgment looks like and the ideas represented there. But uh, um, the very first prophet, possibly one of the very first prophets, Pointing forward to this day of the Lord, they're looking for now. Let's go towards the, one of the last prophets, Malachi. Let's look at Malachi chapter four. Someone could read that verses one through three when they get there. Oh sweet, there we go.
1: Oh, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers, the day that is coming, shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts. So, but for you who fear my name, son of righteousness shall rise with healing, and it's all about leaping like calves from a stall, and rend down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord. Remember the law of my servant Moses, statues and rules at Horeb for all Israel.
0: Okay, same thing again, pointing forward. Um, so we see this, and last week we saw many others as well but just to establish the fact that when he says, look, remember when Peter is saying, look back, remember what you've heard from your prophets. They've been taught throughout their youth in the synagogue, from the earliest prophets to the last, that this day of the Lord is coming. He's saying, don't let these faulty teachers bring doubt into your minds. All the prophets have spoken of this. Um, And then he also mentions the apostles. And and this is an important uh, verse as well. If you're um, beginning to to talk with someone about the um, inerrancy of God's word, and the idea that all of it is God-breathed from the beginning to the end. Um, this is kind of a classic uh, re- reference that you can use when you're in that kind of discussion. Where This is Paul um, saying here, uh, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets, and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. So he's giving the same level of authority here to the words of the prophets, and to himself and the other apostles. He's putting that all in the even plane and saying this is all the same thing as God has spoken. Um, so let's take a look at that. Let's take a look at what... Um, in Revelation 19. Can someone read Revelation 19 for us? Verses 11 through 16.
2: <clears throat> While heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. Justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is Lord of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the wine press with the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his his thigh he has his name written, Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel... Standing in the sun, who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slaves, small and great. Then I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. Oh, I That's
0: all good, dude. That is all good. I
2: nineteen. I'm sorry.
0: That's cool. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah this is showing, again, that's even fine, going farther, showing it what, um, Christ being to take the battle, um, to the enemy. But here we see this, this, um, for us, this vision of Christ's return, and, and now as king, um, no longer, um, the same humble servant coming to die, but here now coming in all authority, um, on that great day that we're, we're looking forward to as well. So we see the, the word of the apostles here. This is, a, this is John speaking, um, Again, prophets and the apostles, he's saying. And there are other points as well we looked at last week at different places in the New Testament. Different writers have pointed forward to it, um, both Peter and Paul. So he's saying, remember, the prophets have said this to you in the past. You've learned this as you, at, throughout your youth. Now we're even telling you more again about this day, that Jesus is the one coming back. It's a constant theme.
1: They have the books. I mean, they have heard it. Right. They didn't read books.
0: Right. I would say that um, being as one of the, the last texts written, I'm not sure that they would have had this passage written by John, but they would have had many of the other letters written by um, Peter, written by Paul. They would have access to those, and those letters have talked uh, about the fact that Christ is coming again. So, whether they had this specific verse in mind, they would have others as well, some of the ones that we looked at last week as well. I yeah, should. I can pull up some of those for you as well, if you'd like. Last week when we were looking through, where I just put that paper I had. Here we go. I think. Thank you, brother. Play oh, yeah. just Yes, go ahead.
1: In mm-hmm. Right. Those. Letters, as you were not just given to a single Right church historically. But, but even in this context, as your third sits received the second letter here, they, they have they have ample information from that, that the Scriptures was both the Old Testament, mm-hmm. but in the writings of the apostles. Thank
0: you, yes. And also, too, like uh, last week we looked at even some of Jesus' teachings in Matthew, where he's talking about the fact that he's going to come back as well. So they have, they've had all these as well. Let me, let me go back, since you guys just got your papers, just to, for, the, for your first fill-in there. First prophets of the last, I believe, is all we've missed. So now, having reminded them of the scriptures, of all they have learned, um, he then also here points to history. Let's look again at the verses in 2 Peter. Flip back and forth, but I guess maybe that's the easiest thing to do. Remember, he again, the second attack they brought last week, the idea that we where, where is this coming promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything's gone on the same since the beginning of creation. And he says, "Here's he said, hang on, they deliberately forget that long ago God's word, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by, by these waters also, the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. Um, so let's take a look now and see some of these passages that he's reminding them of. Um, he says, God creates and sustains the universe by His Word. We looked at last week, and this is kind of exciting. Not only that He created it, but He also is constantly sustaining it by that same power. Let's take a look at a a classic text in in John chapter 1, where we see clearly the uh, the idea of Christ being involved in creation.
2: beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. All
0: things came into nothing. Right, so here we see the... Christ intricately involved the creation and um, creating the universe by the power of His Word. And then lastly, we you look at this te- text as well, this is easy to remember, right? Both ver- one, 1 through 3. But this is a great text in Hebrews um, where it says clearly that things are continued to be sustained by that same power. So let's look at that one more time as well. Hebrews chapter 1. I can read that one. In the past... God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of His being sustaining all things by His powerful word. After He provided purification for sins He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So it's just establishing Um, his divinity, his work in creation, and the fact that his word is sustaining creation even now. Which is awesome. Again, this goes against the idea that God's not involved. And then he not only says about creation, not only God created it, not only does he sustain it, but these guys are totally ignoring the fact that God has powerfully shown himself in creation at different times and uses the the dramatic example of uh, uh, both creation and destruction through the flood. So let's look at Genesis chapter 1. See what he's talking about. Genesis chapter one. God said, "Let there be in the
1: midst of the waters, and let it separate waters from the water, and it separated above the expanse on the second day." God said, "Let waters below the heavens begin." So here
0: is um, God creating the water, and let's take a look at seven. Squall, can you read that for us? Yeah. Uh, the account of the flood. Uh, I won't
2: go over this. <laughs> In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the seventeenth day of the second month, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth forty days and forty nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Heroes of all creatures that had the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. For forty days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased it lifted the ark high above the earth. The water rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. Every living thing that moved on the earth perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarmed over the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Men and animals and the creatures that moved along the ground birds of the air were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those with him in
0: the ark. So here you see this um, tremendous account of God's judgment against mankind for its wickedness. But we also see His um, uh, mercy in saving Noah and his family, preserving them, uh, keeping His promise and setting up uh, the idea of um, new hope, new life, new beginning, pointing forward, of course, to Christ and what He would do for us. Um, we're going to get more into this a little bit later too when we talk about the future and w- what we see when God's talking about coming back. Um, but here's this important thing that, that um, Peter's reminding them of. Now next in Second Peter it says this and I'll read this for you again. By the same but they deliberately forgot that long ago God's word the heavens existed by God's word the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water but these waters also the world, by these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed, by the same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Okay? Um, so you see him saying again, it sounds like the exact same thing that happened to Noah, right? Once again, God's wrath will come against sin. He's been stirring it up. So we already mentioned, we already read Isaiah 66, but let's uh, look at Second Thessalonians. Someone else could read that. The first chapter, 2 Thessalonians.
1: <clears throat> <clears throat>
0: okay. And the uh, description of fire being surrounding Jesus in that, that that instance, and punishment against the ungodly, and we'll uh, go into that in greater depth a little bit later. Now, the third, challenge, the third encouragement he brings them is. The, on the t- eternity, the timelessness of God. He says, but do not forget, in verse 8, he says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to p- perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So let's just focus on that first part of the verse first. With the with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So there's there's two um, kind of aspects of God that we'll look at in brief this morning. I thought we'd maybe stick here for just a little bit because I thought this was interesting and something that we don't spend too much time in general, I think, contemplating. But the the two aspects of God that we see presented in the Scripture, his um, eternality, and then the fact that he actually transcends time itself. So let's look at some of these. Um, and these will become more clear—the differences between these two—as we go through. But let's look at Isaiah 57 first. This idea that God is eternal, from past to future, continuing on forever. Let's take a look. Isaiah 57. Thus says the High,
2: the Exalted One,
1: lives forever.
0: Right. So not only do we see this, this, this nature of him being high and above us, but there is his he who lives forever. The idea that God will never die, that he exists eternally. Let's look at Psalms. We have a couple different Psalms to look at. Psalm 90. Or two. So read that.
1: Forth, or every, you everlasting
0: to everlasting. So here again, we see the idea of before things were created, and after um, God is existing eternally. Now, this is where we're not going to get too deep into this today. Okay, I'll give you guys name, and I'm actually hopefully at some point going to invest in a book and read more about this because it's this become very interesting to me. But uh, just the idea that even this this is all still considered God in time, right? Whenever you use the language "before," this is God in time. Okay, so this is from as far back before we can remember, before the creation, God existed, and long after, He will still exist. It's the idea of in time, God is eternal. At every point, He is there. Okay? What's that? He created. That's right. Like I know. It's awesome. Yes, Sam. <laughs> sorry, I'm
1: sorry. But in that passage, um, if you go to the very next verse, it talks about man. Hmm. It says, you turn man. Back. So the, that, that second verse talks really... I mean, God is invulnerable, mm-hmm. but man is so vulnerable. Yeah, it's just awesome. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting because, like, as created beings with souls,
2: souls are lasting. You know, God is the only one who mm-hmm.
1: is
2: says everlasting to everlasting. Back and
0: forward. A, a beginning point. That's
2: right. <laughs> yeah. Pretty yeah. awesome. The arrow goes to the right on our dot, but the arrow doesn't have a dot. It right. goes
0: <laughs> um, yeah, this evening, you said even good G- G- Sam. I see you're reading the next verse. There's the same illusion again. This is used a couple times here for a thousand. In verse four, for a thousand years in your sight like a day that's just going by, or like a watch in the night. All right, so let's turn over to 102 and we'll look at a few verses in that chapter as well.
2: Days are like the evening shadow, I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, sit in throne forever, your renown endures through all generations.
0: Just what Mark and Sam brought up the temporary nature of us as compared to the everlasting nature of God. And let's go a little farther down in 24 through 28 as well.
2: If I said, Do not take me away, O oh my God, in the midst of my days, your years go on through all generations. Beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth, and are the work of your hands. Perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like your garment. Like clothing, you will change them. Started, but you remain the same, and your ears will never end. The children of your servants will live in your presence. So, this is our
0: assurance as well, right? This is the kind of one one of the great assurances that comes from his eternal nature of God is that just as God has been there for us, we have absolutely no doubt that God will be there for our kids, for our grandkids. That hope of legacy and investing in the future. Um, there's no doubt that He'll be there for them, and that's what a great assurance that is for us. So that's this idea of God in time, being there at all points and, and uh, never-ending. Let's look at how God even transcends time, though. In Genesis chapter one Let's turn it back to Genesis. Okay. Verses 1-5. through five. This is God in creation and time.
1: God created the heavens and the earth. The Earth of God was moving over the God said, Father, the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness
0: he called night. So at least as far as we are concerned, for humanity, this is the beginning of God's creation and establishing this time in the universe that we understand. Okay? Now um the idea too of even the even and and this is a something that has to be wrestled with even for scientists who are on the outside of this, or even some who Right, if they would say that there was a big bang, they they would they, they would hold to the whole thing of what started that, and even in our creation, we would believe that God's word is this is the impetus for all of in the creation. There was a before time that God started and then began creation. There was a point when He was outside of it, not before it, because that would say yes.
2: So, like, when we're talking about this time, this concept, and with creation, right. this is what I kind of learned in class. It, it shows like that God is also present in time, right? Because the words used to describe creation in the Bible and in scriptures it kind of matches up the same um, creation stories that other like um, people believe, like like in their religions. The one was called like the, this this document. It was like old, like the Enuma Elish, and it just okay. shows like from this language is used that's similar to theirs. It doesn't like say like it's not copied from them. It just shows that God. Is in the present time as well. Like he kind of understands what like the people know, and mm-hmm. that like it shows that like he's saying that's not how creation was done. This is how creation was done. And it was mm-hmm. something we talked about in class, and I thought that was kind of like, cool. So it doesn't just show he's there, mm-hmm. but that shows that like present nature with his people, and you know, and, and like the questions that they have. And you just awesome. Kind of a...
0: Yes, yes. God could have stayed, remained aloof or above, but he's come into it with us. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: it's interesting, just from the um, verbiage that's used here. I mean, he creates. There's
0: this chaos that's called... Mm. Yeah, I think about even some of the things... Yeah, um, Even in your own life, when we're talking about you the know, um, sanctification process yeah. and, and obeying the Lord and the, the the good deeds that then can be done, whereas if you're not, you're in a period of rebellion, that's when you realize, what have I been doing for the last so many days or week? It's literally been chaos. It's been... Use. Yeah. It's fascinating that,
2: that his greatest adversary is Satan, a created being, but Satan's goal is still... Mmm.
0: right. Let's look at it. Verse 25 in Jude. Verse 25 in Jude. Someone can read that for us. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, and authority before all
1: time and now and
0: forever. can okay, see. So how clear is that? Right. So this is before time, now and forever. Now, in, now in time and forever authority as God. So I think that's pretty awesome. This shows kind of both both clearly, out and in, outside and inside. So I thought that this might be profitable. Okay. And this is some of um, what Squally was saying. Um, God's relationship to humanity in time. Now, I read this article yesterday that I wanted to share with you. Here we go. So here's what I'm, I'm going to do. This is just a couple pages. It's not. I think this will be um, illuminating a little bit in this discussion. The idea of, kind of captures what's so awesome about God and our own current situation being in time. And there's this one part that he reads in here. Okay, There's a, a, a quote that he reads from Laura Ingalls Wilder, like a, a Little House on the Prairie book. And so it's like, it's like a 20-second clip someone singing in this thing. I'm not going to sing for you. But I have... No, no, no. I should have told Squaw, I should have told him earlier. He would sing for me. Yeah,
1: all
0: right. <laughs> So in one second, I'm going to push this and it won't be awkward. Hopefully it'll, just, it'll, it'll flow and then you just be brought even more into the illustration he's using, okay? Um, temporal life, the life that we live, with this fleeting, war, we're riding this wave of, of today, of the present. Temporal life is... Oh, sorry. His name is William Lane Craig and um, I can write that down for you later. Um, I should have put it on here as well. But he, is, he does, he's written, he's written books and uh, has done, uh, he has like an apologetics website and has done uh, speeches at colleges and in debates. Um, so I had not looked into everything he's done, but he has written a book on God and Time, which I think at some point I'll, I'll have to get a hold of. This is just a copy of a speech he made. Temporal Life is radically incomplete in in that we do not yet have our future and we no longer have our past. Our past is continually receding away and we're always reaching out toward the future we do not have. Our only hold on existence is the the present moment that is ever fleeting, ever vanishing, ever passing away. And yet this is the only hold on existence that we have as temporal beings. Our lives are thus radically evanescent, which is like um, blowing a bubble here and then instantly gone, and have a tenuous hold on existence. But this seems incompatible with the life of a most perfect being, such as God is. The evanescence of temporal life was brought home to me several years ago in an unexpectedly powerful way as I was reading Laura Ingalls Wilder's book, The Little House in the Big Woods, to Our Small Children, Charity and John. Now, you wouldn't expect this book to be a source of philosophical insight, but as I came to the final closing paragraphs of the book, I was absolutely stunned by what I read. It didn't have this impact on my children, but it hit me like a hammer. This is what she wrote. In the long winter evenings of firelight and music In the long winter evenings of firelight and music had come again Pa's strong, sweet voice was softly singing. Let me say this first verse.
1: Should all the acquaintance be forgot and
2: To mine, should all the acquaintance be
1: forgot and days of old and sun, for all.
0: fiddle had stopped singing, Laura called out softly, "'What are the days of all lang syne, Pa?' "'They are the d- days of long ago,' Laura,' Pa said. "'Go to sleep now.' But Laura lay awake in a little while, listening to Pa's fiddle softly playing into the lonely sound of the wind in the big woods. She looked at Pa sitting on the bench by the hearth, the firelight gleaming on his brown hair and beard and glistening on the honey-brown fiddle. She looked at Ma, gently rocking and knitting. She thought to herself, This is now. She was glad that this cozy house and Pa and Ma and the firelight and the music were now. They could not be forgotten, she thought, because now is now, and it can never be a long time ago. What makes this passage so poignant, of course, is that now, that time Laura Ingalls thought was so real, so now for her, is long ago. It's gone. It's gone forever. Ma and pa are gone, the American frontier is gone, Linger, Laura Ingalls Wilder herself is gone. Those years that she called the happy golden days are gone, gone forever, never to be reclaimed. Time has a savage way of gnawing away at existence, making our claim upon existence tenuous and fleeting, and surely this is incompatible with the life of a most perfect being, such as God is. A perfect being must have his life all at once complete, never passing away or yet to come. In other words, the life of a perfect being must be a, a timeless existence in which he exists in eternal now that never passes away. I thought that was pretty pretty awesome. And this, of course, also brings to that another... Um, why, why it's so awesome that God is omniscient and how important that is. The idea that we have those moments that we had our day of our wedding, maybe the first time we held our wife's hand or um, an incredible moment with a friend that we'll, that we'll never forget... And how, after all these years, um, they start to they start to they grow a little more fleeting our memories, and we we try to hold on to them even more tenuously. The idea that they are not forgotten in the mind of God, and that um, in he- Lord willing that in heaven it'll be absolutely nothing for Him. Or even when we're held accountable, is certainly one place where it says clearly that we'll, all of our we've done will be laid before us. The idea that all those moments are not gone for God; they they absolutely can be um, seen again in total clarity, and absolute. Reality, which is pretty pretty awesome. I want to, something that I want to keep thinking about more: the idea of in heaven with God being praised, and the idea that anything He's done will never be forgotten for us, right? Even in that, especially in that day, like like, like a wedding day, where the glory of God's being shown between that marriage relationship, and the thought of like my sister's wedding next week. Next week I'm going to um, just only speak for ten minutes, but it's my sister's wedding, so that's awesome. You know, I, I'm like I can't wait to share it with her. But our her older sister Nina passed away, you know, a few years back, and our grandparents have gone, and different things like that. But the idea that um, if in heaven, where um, all the great deeds of God are known, and this wedding is one of them, that in some sense, when they're there, that they can share it again with her. There's that real hope. It's not forgotten. It's not gone. So
2: there's there's so much value to that because everything counts. Mm. Like everything in life, um, all all these great 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 relationships, all these great experiences, all all. All of it matters mm-hmm. and we'll be capable of that. It, it's a part of God's glory and honor's mm-hmm. So, It's uh, important for us to remember that.
0: You have else you want to say, Squall?
2: Huh?
0: You want something to add, too? No, I
2: was just, okay. just kind of... Yeah, it's kind of... The... Also, it's, important to that.
0: Yeah.
2: it's not just the beginning and the end. It's like, I'm like, in backwards. Like, especially when I think about what people believe God and stuff. And God is just present with them. Mm-hmm. And then... Because that because that means he's relational, you know, he's not mm. just distant. The fact that he is present at that time, I mean, and then he is with He's not, it's it's just it's it's really important, and it's, I mean, it's good to
0: know. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the exact answer to like um, the atheist of our day, to the skeptic then, who'd say, no, God just maybe he created everything, but now we're on our own. Yeah, he's just creating and watching. This is not the just
2: as he is a God, <laughs> omniscient memory is a part of that.
1: Mm. His
2: memory is perfect. And he remembers all and he knows all.
0: I think, even in the other side of it, in a little more a sadder instance, but in, no less no, important, when we talk about the justice of God, that it's something that happened to you that no one else knows about, or you haven't received justice, that God knows exactly what you experienced in every detail, and that justice will be coming. As your father, he is concerned and does not forget. Yes?
1: But this is such a wonderful discussion we're having, not directly, but certainly talking about. God's transcendent mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. his attributes mm-hmm. but we're also talking about his image characteristics In other mm-hmm. words, those characteristics of him that makes it's a remarkable thing when you look at these false teachers added someone these false teachers had, had had no connection to his image, mm-hmm. none whatsoever look at false teaching today there are, there are false teachings today and I'll just I come from the Catholic mm-hmm. Catholic religion majors incorrectly, but majors um, characteristics. miners on like his volitional monastery level. Mm.
2: He uses those transcendent yes. characters. Like, just live out. Like don't like not just gonna I'm sick of saying you're just like kinda of like remember what you did, remember what you're doing blah blah or you know it's going to happen. It's like look at what you're also doing. Like I almost sometimes I get caught up like with what's gonna happen in the future and what is happening and that then like distracts from what's going on right now and in this moment and just and it kinda of makes you feel like, you know I don't know, it could be lonely, you know what I mean? Like, why would, you know, you want to not have that relationship right now in this moment instead of always looking That's at the argument for why so many of us are so poor in our, our biblical understanding of heaven, I think, understand our... like
0: what God meant for them in this life. Um, um So his general um, understanding on this is that God... I. Existed above time, had no need for it, um, but then comes into it for us, like Swallow was saying. So I just want to read the last two paragraphs of his thought, and then we'll move on. Now, this remarkable conclusion the fact that God exists outside of time and then now exists inside of it with us I think deserves serious reflection. It means that God, in creation as the incarnation, has undertaken an act of condescension for our sake, existing alone in the fullness of the intra Trinitarian love relationships. God had no need of temporal persons to relate to. In His perfect, timeless existence, there is no deficit in His mode of existence, no deficiency to be filled. But out of His love and grace, He chose to create a temporal world of finite creatures so that they might be invited to share in the inner Trinitarian life of the Godhead and love the three persons of the Trinity. So God in creation stoops to enter into and undertake our temporal mode of existence in order to relate to us and bring us into relationship with Himself. And of course, in the Incarnation, He stoops even lower still to take on not merely our mode of existence, but our very human nature itself. This, I think, makes a good sense of the relationship of God in time. God is timeless without creation and temporal sub- subsequent to creation. Having entered into time, he is not dependent upon finite velocity light signals or clock synchronization procedures for knowing what time is. Rather, existing in absolute time, God is, as Newton proclaimed, the Lord God of dominion of his universe. In the words of St. Jude, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. So, wow, that was well said um yeah, this is so again, if you're more interested in he's written a, a whole book on it, I think it's kind of book booky off to sit, read a paragraph, then put it down, and just stare off in the space and think for a while and then pick it back up. you know what I mean deep thinking, but man it's profound isn't it? just awesome your mind. yeah exactly <laughs> Alright, so let's also not miss this one point as well. Um, I mean, we we'll go back to our verses in chapter 3. Um, do not forget this one thing. Just so I want to point out that when he says, that, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends, it also implies that the same word is used when we're talking about the forgetfulness of the, of the false teachers. He's saying kind of a deliberate forgetfulness, the idea of their lifestyle breeding this forgetfulness. So don't let them distort your thinking, he's saying. He's bringing this argument directly against their teaching. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Lastly, he also brings up the character of God. When he says, the Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I said here, He is not loitering or lollygagging, just not not doing what he should be doing. Uh, Let's take a look at Galatians chapter 4. So here it's saying here that this is not um, there wasn't a better time, God wasn't wasting time, God couldn't have brought Jesus at an earlier better time, or even now. Which is another interesting topic, but why didn't Jesus, why didn't